See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man being, human being, sorry, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry land, ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet he, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had not done no, he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now when I pray... And then we'll uh, get into uh, the passage uh, that we've got before us, uh, the, the idea we've got before us today. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can be here uh, today. Whether we're here for the first time, just visiting uh, and, and thinking about you, or whether we come every week um, and we, we seek to love and serve you, uh, help us now to consider your word and how it relates to us in life. Amen. Now, some of you probably know the book by Gary Chapman. He's written a few versions of it, but there's a book. Does anyone know what the book's called? Is that name ring a bell? The Love Languages. Thanks, Ruth. The Five Love Languages. Who's heard of that book? Has anyone heard of that book? Not many of you. There you go. The Five Love Languages has been kind of this very popular way of talking about the way we appreciate being treated. Um, And so there are five different types of characteristics or things that people are oriented towards. And there's one that uh, people have overwhelmingly that they appreciate. 
And the best way to figure out which one you are is the one that you often do to others. It's probably the one that, that, that you are as well. Uh, but there's five of them. Does anyone know what some of them are? Words of affirmation. That was really good. Thank you, Rhiannon. That was great. Acts of service. Yeah, good pick up on the whole talk thing. Quality time. Quality time, acts of service, physical touch, and there's one more. Yeah, the gifts. The gifts. If you like receiving gifts, all of those. We all like receiving some of those things oriented to more one than the other. And the way that the book talks about it in very classic kind of American corny kind of way, it fills up your emotional love tank, which if you get that treated properly and it's all a bit corny, but it's actually quite reasonable and and valid and has good content towards it. But it's all about which one of these you're focused on and overall which one uh, is the one that you need to provide for the person that you're relating to. Today, we're kind of focusing in on one of them, acts of service, but it's like we're thinking about it in loving in service. But as we're thinking thinking about it, we're not just thinking about, oh, this is for the people who really like serving or really like being served. What we're going to see today, this isn't just an emotional kind of love tank. This is a characteristic. This is a key thing that every follower of Jesus, what a disciple is, and that's what we're thinking about in this uh, series. This is a mark of a Christian to be one who serves, not just receives. And so we're going to consider what it means to be loving in service today. And when it, when it comes to being uh, thinking about service, what we're thinking about is how do my actions demonstrate love towards others? How am I intentionally using my time and energy so someone else doesn't have to? And we're thinking about it in the context of God's people. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus today and I usually go to another church and you're just visiting, really glad that you're here and and you can think about uh, this in in your context as well. And if you're visiting us and you're not sure where where you are with God, the great thing about today is what you'll get to see is a bit of what God's like. The reason we talk about service is because we're actually going to see at the very heart what God's like in His relationship. And that's where we're going to kick this whole talk off today. What is God's relationship like? You see, God's relationship with himself is relational. Now, you may or may not be aware, but our God is one God with three persons, which is a great mystery, which is bigger than our brains can fathom how that can possibly be. And we're not talking about that today, but the reality that he's one God with three persons, we see these persons are in relationship with each other and it is a perfect relationship god the father god the son and god the holy spirit are in relationship with each other in a perfect expression of love god is love actually is one of the small verses in the bible god is love how do we understand this because if we understand this i reckon we get a picture of what service is about and why it's a mark of christian of the Christian life. And I think you can summarize what it is in three words or three letters. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. If you've, those who have been to youth group when I was doing youth with T&E, I kept on harping on about this to hopefully for someone to get stuck in their brain. 
I think God is OPC at his very heart. OPC. God is other person centered at his very heart. He's in a perfect relationship where each person's concern is for the other person in the relationship. And so what I want to do for a moment is help maybe introduce this idea to you or maybe consolidate it for you by showing you some examples from the book of John to start off with. See, in the book of John, there's this thread that runs through it about God and what he's like and the relationship he has. And I want us to see it from three different perspectives. The first perspective is what does the Father, God the Father, do for the Son? There should be a verse come up on the screen. In 5.20, John 5.20, it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. He loves the Son. But more than that, he doesn't just love him. He says, here we read in John 3.35. Oh, did I not put John 3.35 in? That's unfortunate. No, that's all right. I've got it here. It's very short. You can hear it. The Father loves the Son. You heard that. But here's the thing. And has placed everything in His hands. God the Father has given His Son everything. He has given Him everything. The Father loves the Son. He says to His Son, I have all authority and it is yours. That is pretty other person centered, right? In a relationship. It's giving everything you have. Now, this is a father to a son. Parents like giving things to their kids. And when they can't, for whatever reason, if it's good for them, it, it grieves them because they want to give them things. This father gives him everything. Even what is his, he gives him everything. Imagine the inheritance. I think I may have used this illustration at another time. I was trying to remember if I had not, but imagine Bill Gates. He's got a bit of money, right? Imagine how much money the inheritance his kids get. It's a lot. I reckon if we tried to weigh up the value, I reckon it's about worth five cents. And that's being conservative compared to what the father is giving this son. He's given him Lord of everything that's ever existed. He has authority over it. That is very other person centered. Then we get the son. How does the son respond to the father? We see it up there already. How does the son respond to the father? By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. He doesn't take, oh, excellent, I've got all the stuff now. My father's given me everything, everything and run away with it. He says, I am going to do everything now to please my father. This is the dynamic of our God just in himself. And so, we see in 1431, but the world must learn that I love the father and I, and I do 
John 14, 31. The world must... Is that right? Yeah. But the world must know that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. I love the Father. And I'm going to do what my Father wants. So he's saying, I'll do what he wants, not kind of like Michael. Okay? All right, what's in it for me? I've already done something. Jesus is all in. This is not family chore time, where it's like pulling teeth to get the chores done. This is the son saying, what he wants, it's what I want. Our God is magnificent. So, the next question then, who is the Holy Spirit concerned about? Well, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. You see, the Holy Spirit is no middle child who needs to be the center of attention because there's missing out. Instead, God, the Holy Spirit, wants to talk about Jesus. He wants him to be known. The Holy Spirit is saying, my job is to tell you and the world who Jesus is. To bring Jesus glory and to transform people into his likeness. In fact, that last little bit, and we've got two extra weeks after this series, we're going to have a couple bonus rounds of discipleship and that's the topic. Being transformed into Christ's likeness by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is concerned about Jesus. Here we have a fantastic picture of God. You may have kind of known these things, but not necessarily put it together in this way. But it's very helpful for us to see what God is like if we're going to consider how we're to be like. Because the next question I think we should ask is, what shape does God's relationship take with us? How does God relate to us? Now, that was really, in a way, what we saw in our reading today that Gabby read for us. If you've got Isaiah 52 open, I I, I don't want to point out to you um, the whole passage and what it means. It's one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. It's so important, it points to everything that Jesus has done. It shows us where... Um, our salvation lies it is full of great depth in the detail but it also highlights our problem that we need it but i want to just show you briefly today that in isaiah in this section is this whole section called the suffering servant songs and where there's this suffering servant who comes and suffers for someone and he is to be looked forward to And in this passage in 52, we read things like in verse 13, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up highly and exalted. In 53 verse 5, what um, uh, Jack read with um, the kids, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And then we read in verse 6, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and afflicted in verse 7. He did not open his mouth. 53 verse 8, this suffering servant was cut off from the land of the living. He's died for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. Verse 10 of chapter 53, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And the Lord, the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. 11, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Can you see the theme? This servant gives his whole life, his whole time, his whole intent is of this loving act which is going to require him to die for this dealing of pain and suffering and iniquities of other people. That's his job. It's completely other person because what he is doing is going to cost him everything, his life, for someone else's sake. He was poured out his life unto death in verse uh, 12 and it finishes in verse 12, for he bore the sin of many. What an extraordinary outline of someone who is concerned about someone else. And they didn't deserve it. They willingly did it, but they didn't deserve it. Here we get a snippet into what God thinks of us and how he treats us. He treats us like he treats himself in his perfect relationship, completely other person-centered. It's spectacular. It's glorious. And we can see that in the New Testament, when Jesus comes along, this suffering servant is laid on him. He is the one that they were waiting for, this suffering servant, and he gives clarity to it. And so Paul, the apostle, writes about this in chapter 5, verse 8. But Christ demonstrates his own love for us in this, why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still the ones with all the iniquity, with all the wrong, with all the rejection of God... He, willingly, though he was perfect, died for us. This other person-centered relationship of Jesus, the suffering servant, is one of love. So in John, when he was writing about what love is, and he talks about Jesus, what is... Oh, did we get back to one, John? Did I miss one, John? I did. Let me read it to you. I'm on fire with the um, Bible passages. Um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So other person centered, even when we hadn't started to love him, he's willing to love us. That is hard to do, isn't it? To love someone when they don't love you back, just humanly speaking, forgetting God for a moment. Isn't that tough? And here we have God treating us like this. So we see in chapter 10, verse 45 of Mark, that we bring up regularly, but we bring it up today to see service so clearly laid out. The Son of Man did not come to be served. He didn't come to get, but to serve. And his service ultimately for our salvation meant to give his life as a ransom, to pay the price for us, for many. 
God treats us with complete other person-centeredness. It's spectacular. Um, Dr. Broughton Knox, um, one of the uh, uh, who's I'm here, all the study I've done and where I've got to in, in many ways is due to him. He was a um, principal of the Bible college that I uh, went to in Sydney. Uh, he was gone before my time. But he said in thinking about this other person centeredness in which he wrote this great book on the Trinity, um, which is fantastic. If you ever want to read it, I've got it at home. It's very short as well, but it's fantastic. And he said, It is great assurance to know God is infinitely concerned with our welfare. His whole infinite being is absolutely and always centred on us. That's what we see when Jesus turns up. God become flesh and gives his life for us. That's why if you're wrestling with, why would I bother with this God and Christianity? It's because this God is saying to you, I am totally for you. I'm not asking you to fix the problem. I'm going to give it all for you. That is why we say what a disciple is, how you become a disciple, is to trust in this death for Jesus. As we so beautifully heard last week when Beck shared her testimony and got baptised, which was a great time, we heard a great, beautiful example of Jesus has done this for me and I've realised I just trust in him. That offer is for all of us, even if it's for the first time today. And as we move on, we consider what shape do the relationships of a disciple take then? And I think we see this is why OPC, other person-centeredness, is so important. We are made to be like him in his relationships with him and with each other. And so we ask, how are we going to shape our relationships to be full of service? Humanity, though, we've come up with many other options. Sometimes we're FPC, family person-centred. If it's just about the family, I can be loving and gracious and fantastic and when it comes to my family, I will do everything for them and if someone tries to get in the way, watch out, I will take them down. It's all about my family. We can go to that extreme. We can even be CFPC, I'm loving the acronyms today, CFPC, close friend personal uh, person-centeredness. That is, when it comes, I have a great capacity to being other person-centered when it's with my circle of friends, like the TV show Friends or Seinfeld. Well, they weren't even really nice to each other, but they certainly weren't nice to anyone else. Like that, content, that idea, we can do that. But that's not what God's talking about, the people that we kind of just like or that we know well. Ultimately, what we're talking about is MPC, me, person-centeredness. That's the real problem. And the challenge for us is to own up to the fact we have a, we have a bad case of MPC. And as people saved by grace in Jesus, we live this side of heaven rejecting that way, repenting from that way when we get it wrong, 
and asking forgiveness with each other when we do. Because if we don't, what we see in the world can be what happens to our church. If we just revert back to MPC, we'll see relationships break down, we'll see fractures, we'll see um, things destroyed and it'll be our fault if we just try and walk around and think about this is all for me because that's not the Christian life. But if we understand what God wants us to be like, relationships with Him, other person-centeredness is about love. We ask ourselves this question, are we willing to have this self-sacrificial, other person-centered love as our attitude? Because that's what disciples of Jesus do. Ask yourself that question. That's not rhetorical. I'll say it again so you can just ask yourself. Are we willing, as a follower of Jesus, to have this self-sacrificial, other person-centered love as our attitude? Later in the year, we're going to do a series on relationships. So thinking about how does God want us to think about all manner of relationships? Husbands and wives, friends and everything. The whole thing, which we do together, no matter where we're at. This is really the core, the beginning of that series as well. Being other person-centered is the framework in which we think about our relationships. But when it comes to serving each other, it has to be you loving by other person-centeredness. When it comes to serving, doing things for other people, we think about how can we do it that way? And I want to finish today, after going through such a whirlwind of ideas, and there's so much more to talk about in thinking about God like that, right? It could just go on and on, and we're just scratching the surface. I want to just mention, I've just been reflecting this week on maybe 10 practical kind of examples of loving this way as God's people. You serve, number one, and as I say these, maybe you can jot down one or two or mentally note one or two that you think are the biggest challenge for you. You serve with what's needed, not what you think you are good at. Sometimes they work together nicely, but you think that way. The primary goal is not just to get done where your skills lie at. You serve, number two, by doing it the way you've been asked, taught or shown. It's actually really helpful when you're running anything, let alone a church with God's people, that if there's a way that's been described to do it, then that's the way you actually do it. And if you've been shown a way, you don't just then go off and, well, this is the way I'm going to do it. But actually, as you know, there's sometimes things change and you can figure stuff out. But that approach is actually really helpful. I reckon that's been a challenge for me over the times when I, because I like to think sometimes I know what I'm doing, and so you can get arrogant and you can go, well, this is the way it should be done. But I haven't considered all the other things that lie in place, do I? Because if something happens, there might be a full on effects for everything else that's going on, because we're a body working together. And that's what we need to consider. If, let's come up with a really obvious, stupid example. Let's just say the person opening up church who's uh, told to open up at 8 o'clock thinks, 8 o'clock, 
That's ridiculous. I'm going to open up at five to nine. That we start at we, well, we start uh, five to ten rather. We're going to start. We start at ten. It's five minutes. We'll make it happen. That'll be fine. Imagine if that happened. We'd be all out there, blocked up, nowhere to go, and we wouldn't get started for another at least an hour. That's a stupid example, but I think it actually makes a really good point. Number three, serve thinking about the implications your serving has for others, not for yourself. Building on that um, number two, but actually just thinking about other people individually, not just as the whole making church happen. Number four, serve that are in areas behind the scenes. Now, as I say this one, uh, what I've loved about Grove in our 18 months is in many ways, I'm preaching to the converted here on this topic because the service of how this church has started is because just so many of you have bought into what we're on about and to get on and do it. It has been an amazing joy. Amanda, who's out with the kids today, who, who does our admin and puts the rosters together and all that kind of stuff, she's constantly saying people are so willing to serve. So what we're doing today is a really, for maybe some of us just going, yeah, I've been a bit lazy or maybe I get it now. Uh, but I think for the large majority of us, it's a recalibrating, it's a recommitment, it's a re-challenging of us to get in and get involved. Because there's many things that you can do that no one will ever know about. And we're not, not just even Sundays, I'm just talking about Sundays today, but as a church as a whole. And then, I want to challenge those of you who only like doing behind the scenes, why not? do something in a more public setting. Because if you had that humble attitude, you're the very person who should maybe do the public thing just because you've never done it before. Why couldn't you? Number five, seek to improve how you serve for the sake of the body, not for your own self-esteem. I reckon this is one that you just need to constantly analyse yourself. Because it's actually good and right to be thanked and to praise and that's the type of people that we should be but we need to constantly remind ourselves that we don't do things for our own kind of that's where we find our kind of whole identity we find our identity in christ and what he's done for us that's a good byproduct that when we do something and we're thanked and people appreciate it, it should actually make us feel good. It should do those things. But we need to constantly remind ourselves, if I'm doing this job and I've got to do this, because so much depends upon that. That's probably really important for those of us up front. It's really important for me. Am I doing this for your sake or because I like talking? I like the way I say things, or because by talking to you, I find out about God's Word for me so much better. No, I need to preach to you for your sake. Now, a good byproduct of that, and something should be, I should always sit under the Word of God as I prepare and should be transformed by it as your pastor. But it's for your sake. I reckon that's a good one for all musicians to constantly remind yourself because it's that kind of thing music is. And as soon as you do any kind of public music, you get praised about it. Jack and I have talked about this before. When you actually play in a band or whatever, there is natural kind of affection towards you. People like you and your identity quickly becomes found in that. Number six, serve even when there is a cost to you. 
we don't just look at the time we've got. We're not also talking about burning ourselves to the ground that we can't look after ourselves and all those kind of things. Some of us sometimes need to do step back because we're that type of person and the word no is actually useful. But remember the other person-centeredness of God as an amazing sacrifice at the very heart of it. There was kind of a cost the blood of Jesus for you and me. It's not our spare time, what we've got left over after we work a full-time job or do full-time study and look after family, look after ourselves, enjoy our leisure time, make a holidays. What time have I got left? I've got, now I can do this. That's not the way we think about it. Although, you know, there's a practicality too. You, You can't do things you don't have time for, but we don't think that way. Because we remember we are loving in service because that's our God. We don't, now what I'm going to call do to Michael Steamson, we don't do it joylessly. You know, Michael's standing over here and it was beautiful. It portrayed it so just clearly. Oh, all right. You know, I've done that for you already. All right. I want money for this one. You know, there was no joy in serving in that moment, okay? Serving is to be full of joy and for the joy of others, okay? Now, actually, Michael's actually a great example because he actually today went and put out all the signs. So, sorry, I'm going to embarrass you, Michael, but he went and did the signs today. Now, I know all of the logistic guys who do the signs. It's not a glamorous job. It's super painful. It's really annoying. Does it really matter? Do we have to do it? That... That, that's one, it's one of those jobs that we've got, we've got to, we, we do because we're, we're a church that no one knows about. It's probably good to have people know. You do that. It's not a task. I'm not saying now, as you do that, you need to be skipping down the road with joy singing, you know, happy, happy, this is so fantastic. You know, that's not what you do. The task itself is not joyful. And it's not about happiness. It's about having joy in that this is for the kingdom of God, for God's people and for the church that I'm a part of. That is joy that goes beyond happiness. Happiness and joy line up together, but not always, particularly in suffering, which we'll get to another time. Number eight, consider serving as every, every disciple's joyful duty. If you love Jesus but you don't think serving is for you, you're saying to Jesus, uh, you've come to serve me, so I won't serve you. I'm not sure there's a place for that in the Christian life. We don't say, you've come to serve and save me, so now I'm going to do this stuff so I can actually help save myself. That would be just throwing grace back at God's face, no, we respond to the grace. We serve with joy. Number nine, this is an important one to hear as well. It's okay for serving to be seasonal, but not for selfish reasons. That is to say, sometimes you may have a great capacity to do a whole bunch of things, and some of you have greater capacity than others. That is completely Okay, that's the way God's made us. 
And sometimes with where your life's at, there are some things that you can't do that you can do, whether it's be where you, where you are in your age, where it is with, with starting work, as you're a kid, so there's only some things you can and can't do. Whatever it is, uh, something tough happens and tragedy happens. You consider serving to be seasonal. It is, it's okay not to have to feel this overwhelming burden that I must because I remember that serving talk. But we also need to align that with I'm just being selfish because I want my time back. And that's for you to wrestle with yourself and with God. Uh, Peter's not here today because he's sick and Peter, like he's going to be preaching next week. I'm away next Sunday. Uh, And Peter's going to be preaching. And Peter and Meredith, they are the most godly example of how you do that in extreme trial and suffering. With Steph being so sick and at death's door and not for a moment. Because he even consider that if I can physically capably do it, if I can emotionally do it, would I not be part of God's people and serve? His mindset has taught me so much in this time. I sincerely hope you have seen your brother and sister shape you for the rest of your life. The last one, be led by your church leaders. It's good to talk to us. It's good to have a dialogue about how it all works out. And sometimes we might get things wrong, we don't communicate things well, but we seek to do serving better and better. And we actually want you to think about ways in which You can do things for church that are formal, but there's a whole bunch of serving that goes on that just happens in relationship as well. And both of those need to go on together. As you invite someone over for lunch on a Sunday afternoon that you haven't really met before or that you have never had an opportunity to talk to, as you provide a dinner for someone or or a whole helping out because someone's got a whole bunch of physical stuff that they can no longer do. Imagine with all of our young adults, all of you said, Whenever there's stuff that needs to be done, uh, whether it's picking up pavers or helping mow lawn, if someone else in our church can't do that anymore, and they say, is there anyone who possibly do that? There's 10 people are saying, I can, I can do it, and if the time works, bang, it's done. Wouldn't that be great? And it's, feedback is good. We want to we get better and better at it, and so we'll continue to do that. Amanda is um, willing to talk to you about how the rosters are working for you. If you. And it's really good for you. I just thought of this now, but it's um, a good one. <laughs> for this is for Amanda's sake, right? <laughs> um, when you're doing rosters, it's a really tough gig to line up everybody and their needs and what's going on in your life and sickness and health and all those kind of things. Remember that when you engage with um, the rostering person, whether it's Amanda or someone else, and seek to just engage and talk with them relationally about it. Because sometimes we may completely do something that's ridiculous to you, put you on two things at the same time, or you're away, and we've, all those kind of things, or we put you on something that you never said you wanted to do. Um, I think this other person-centred attitude is really helpful for that as well. Because we love being served by you as much as we try and model it to you. Um, that's pretty much a, 
just a reminding you of that one because I know that's uh, how we how we operate. And so, brothers and sisters, I love considering our God because He's so glorious. He has given His very life for us. When you think about service, pull it out of the painful duty and bring it into the joyful response to the God has saved you by His blood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can see who you are and be amazed that the ultimate act of service has given us life into all eternity. Help us now to consider how we can spend this side of heaven loving in service, to please you for the sake of the people around us those that are here and those that we haven't even met yet. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name, amen.